It's Friday, June the 5th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist, sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, a memorial for George Floyd and the ECB's bond buyer. First, the world in brief. After a night of largely peaceful protests in America, supporters and relatives of George Floyd, the unarmed black man killed by a white police officer in Minneapolis on May 25th, attended the first of many memorials to honour the 46-year-old. Meanwhile, Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, a Republican, said she agreed with James Mattis, a former defence secretary who mounted a scathing criticism of President Donald Trump's handling of the protests. She said she was struggling with the question of whether to support the president in November. Nearly 1.9 million Americans filed for unemployment benefits last week, the fewest in over two months, and a sign the economy may be recovering from the COVID-19 crisis. Still, the total number of applications for aid since mid-March is now 42.6, the worst figure since the Depression. The European Central Bank increased its bond-buying programme by €600 billion, $681 billion, and extended it by six months to June 2021. This brings the purchases promised by the ECB to support the Eurozone's economy to €1.35 trillion. Germany's government also agreed on its own stimulus package, worth €130 billion. It will reduce VAT temporarily, give families €300 per child, and double a consumer subsidy for electric cars. A federal appeals court banned Bayer, a chemicals giant from selling Extendimax, an agricultural weed killer in America. The Environmental Protection Agency, it ruled, had understated the risks related to dicamba, a constituent chemical. Bayer inherited the lawsuit when it bought Monsanto, an agrochemicals giant, in 2018. It faces separate allegations that its glyphosate-based weed killer, Roundup, causes cancer. Thousands of Hong Kongers gathered to mark the anniversary of the crackdown on the Tiananmen Square demonstrations in 1989, in which hundreds of protesters were killed. This year's vigil was banned, ostensibly because of the coronavirus. Earlier the same day, the Legislative Council passed a bill making it illegal to insult China's national anthem, now punishable by three years' imprisonment. Iran logged more than 3,000 new COVID-19 cases for the third consecutive day, sparking fears of a second wave of infections. The government has been trying to reopen its economy. Iran was one of the first countries to suffer a major outbreak after China's. Separately, Iranian authorities released Michael White, an American naval veteran imprisoned since last year. Majid Tahari, an Iranian doctor held in America, will head the other way. And Libya's UN-recognised government of national accord claimed to have regained full control of Tripoli, the capital. The forces of General Halif de Haftar, a warlord backed by Egypt, Russia and the United Arab Emirates, had besieged the city for more than a year. Turkey has intervened forcefully on the side of the GNA in recent months. Earlier this week, both sides reportedly agreed to discuss a ceasefire. And now, here's today's agenda. As bad as it gets, America's labour market. During the COVID-19 outbreak, the news about America's economy has been unremittingly grim. But nothing will demonstrate the carnage quite like the jobs report for May released today. Economists expect it to show that the unemployment rate has climbed to around 20%. Even that figure, which would be the highest since the Depression, understates the damage the coronavirus has done. Many people have dropped out of the labour force entirely and therefore are not counted in the unemployment figures. Unemployment will probably not rise much higher. Many parts of the country began lifting lockdowns in May, and evidence of economic recovery is already beginning to appear. Yet many economists fear that a large share of the job losses will prove permanent. 
so that even as the economy recovers, joblessness is unlikely to fall quickly. America's economic problems are no longer acute. They are turning chaotic. Emergency landing. A Sino-American aviation spat. Donald Trump has started many a trade tiff. Few seemed as poorly timed as the latest, a quarrel with China over flying rights. This week, Mr. Trump's administration proposed a ban on flights to America by China's four biggest airlines. It now looks set to step back from the brink. The White House claimed that Chinese rules imposed in March discriminated against American carriers. Those restrictions, intended to stop imported COVID-19 infections, capped flights in and out of China by foreign airlines to the number operated on March 12th. American carriers had suspended their services in February. Yesterday, China sought to calm the dispute by loosening its rules. America will probably do likewise in the coming days. Some American manufacturers would feel relieved. Boeing had forecast that China would overtake America as its largest customer for new jetliners over the next 20 years. This row could have given the Chinese reason to take their custom elsewhere. Slight amusement. Universal Studios reopens. The theme park in Orlando, Florida opens to the general public today for the first time in nearly three months. Its shutdown has not been the only COVID-19-induced misfortune to befall its parent, Comcast. Reduced advertising revenues and delayed movie premieres, as well as the closure of its four parks, cut the media and entertainment company's after-tax profits by 40% year-on-year in the first quarter. Neighbouring Disney World plans to reopen next month. Before the coronavirus struck, both parks were cash cows, but the pandemic will continue to depress air travel, squeezing the stream of visitors. Families on tighter budgets or without jobs will be reluctant to shell out for holidays, and the parks will anyway limit capacity to enforce social distancing. That may at least please the guests who do turn up. The queues for the rides will be much shorter. Beyond Hot Air The UN's Net Zero Campaign Today, the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change launches the Race to Zero to mark World Environment Day. The idea is to encourage the curbing of greenhouse gas emissions to net zero by mid-century, i.e. putting no more into the atmosphere than is taken out. Expect a flurry of corporate pledges and calls for green jobs. But the public relations gesture coincides with some promising proposals by governments to foster a greener post-COVID recovery. Rishi Sunak, Britain's Chancellor of the Exchequer, is reportedly preparing to promote green jobs in the economic stimulus package next month. The EU's recovery scheme will include investment in emission-reducing sectors, such as energy efficiency and renewable power. South Korea and Japan have similar plans. However, some countries, notably America and Brazil, are using the pandemic as an excuse to roll back environmental rules. Before COVID-19, the world's environmental regulations were already showing signs of diverging. The pandemic may accelerate that trend. A contest contested. Burundi's election. The landlocked country in the Rift Valley is bracing itself for more unrest. Agathon Rawaza, the leader of Burundi's main opposition party, had challenged the results of the general election held on May 20th at the Constitutional Court, claiming a massive fraud. Yesterday, judges ruled against him, in effect endorsing a whim for the president's chosen successor, Everiste Ndaishimier. Although that was no surprise, the court is not considered independent, it is worrying. Mr. Rawaza alleges ballots were stuffed with papers before polling stations had opened and that thousands of votes were added when they closed. Voters claimed they were strong-armed into picking Mr. Indaishimye by members of the youth wing of CNDD-FDD, the ruling party. 
Human Rights Watchdog said party members boosted its tallies by adding the ballots of people who had died. The last contested election in 2015 triggered protests across the country and a brutal crackdown by state security forces. Burundi is holding its breath. Finally, here's the quote of the day from John Maynard Keynes, who was born on this day in 1883. There is no harm in being sometimes wrong, especially if one is promptly found out. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.